Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. What a great time of worship we had. If you're visiting with us or if it's your first service with us, I hope you see we're a worshiping church. We love to worship God. And I hope you don't feel odd that we raise our hands and we praise the Lord because he made us. He's a great God. We want to worship our Lord. We want to be people who show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we're not ashamed to just look to heaven and tell the God who created us and loved us so much that he opened the door to heaven to us that, hey, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And it's great to be together to do that. It feels good to have more people in the house of God. It's wonderful. It's like that song we're singing about heaven. It's just a little, just such a scratch, a little, just less than a, a dust piece of what it's gonna be like. And it's wonderful. We want to be a worshiping church, and we also want to be a praying church. So thank you to all of you who were out on Wednesday for our prayer walk, which was a great time. The Lord smiled on us. He gave us wonderful, wonderful weather. And we went around the grounds here at various points and prayed for uh, many things. And we had something new, if you weren't there, right out at the four-way stop was one of our Uh, prayer stations, but it really was a Thanksgiving station. And each group stopped there, looked up to the cross, which was right down the main boulevard, and they were shouting Thanksgiving to God. And it was great to be at different spots around the, the church grounds and hear those groups shouting, thank you, Lord, and we love you. It really was a wonderful time. And If you see it on the schedule again, come on out for those. They are great, great times to be together and to pray. Uh, So look for it. Look for it. Now, when we opened up the service today, you heard something. You heard something from Pastor Noah. He said, we're not about identity politics. We have one identity. And we're about that identity, Jesus Jesus, we want to be people who are identified with Christ. And we have been talking about that week after week after week for the past few months and how to apply that daily in our lives, practical application of being Christ-like people, showing others, living our lives as Jesus taught and being Christ-like. And we've been rolling through what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we've also touched various other spots in the Gospels where Jesus was giving instructions. But it's all about being identified with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and being, being Christians. So through this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching a multitude, and I've said it many times, people like you and I, just regular folks, 
And so these, these are great words in the Sermon on the Mount that we can apply because we're very similar to the crowd that Jesus was teaching. Now, our faith might be different. The way we were raised might be different. The Jewish people, they were a people that God had chosen, and they had a great history of faith. They were chosen by God to be the people through which God would reveal himself. God called a man named Abraham. He called him out of a place called Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was an idolater. He was worshiping idols. And God chose him and said, hey, you're going to lead a nation. You'll be the patriarch of a nation. And he made a covenant with this man, Abraham, and he promised this childless man, a man who was getting on in his years, really wasn't counting on having kids at all. And God said, you are going to father a nation, and I promise you that, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. And your offspring are going to number the stars of the, the heavens and the sands of the sea. And it came to pass. Abraham was the father of a people, a people that came to be called the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews. And in the time of Jesus, now Jesus came along, Israel now as a nation was 2,000 years old. And so the people were well acquainted with their history, their, their history of faith, that God chose this man named Abraham and he gave uh, this other great leader, Moses, the law, the law that they were to follow. And they knew and they studied well what God had told people called the prophets that had said, over and over again, follow God, and the people didn't. And they also said, there's a Savior coming to rescue you from your sin. Now here was Jesus, standing before a multitude. I shouldn't say standing. He, had, he was on a mountainside, and he told them all to sit down, and he was there teaching, and he was challenging them. He was challenging what they had heard and been taught over the course of 2,000 years, things that had become rote and things that had been uh, put into their lives over and over again. And Jesus was challenging it, and he was teaching them in such an intriguing way. And what he was teaching was all about the true qualities of those who would believe in this God that called this guy named Abraham and started the nation. Do you believe in him? Was really what he's, he's putting before the people. And if you do, how are you living? What are you doing practically? And over and over again, he would mention the kingdom of heaven because that's a destination. What marked those true believers Jesus was describing. What marked them? Well, he talked about it from the very beginning of his sermon. And he said things like, if you're a true believer, you believe in this God of creation, well, then you're meek, merciful. You're a peacemaker. You would endure persecution for the, his sake. And Jesus was saying, my sake, Jesus' sake, you would, you would endure persecution. So from the, from the open, 
of his sermon, Jesus is talking about characteristics of believers. And Jesus pointed to God. And he said, God's a father, which was, again, this intriguing message. It was new to the people. This isn't something their faith leaders had talked about, that God was this great, loving father. And then Jesus also alluded to the fact that there was this promised savior, the son of God. And he did say, blessed are you if you're persecuted for me. He didn't say God the father, he said me. So he's making this connection between him and God. It was all new. He was certainly gonna talk about it much more, but he was beginning. Why would anyone be persecuted for Jesus, unless they truly believed he had some divinity, that he was connected to God, that he was the son of God. So this was the start of Jesus revealing himself, who he was. And so the characteristics he was talking about were the characteristics and the traits of those who would follow him. And so he began to teach. He began to teach and he talked about heaven and he talked about our heavenly father. Nearly two dozen times, nearly two dozen times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says heaven or heavenly father. There, there's something he's trying to get across to these people. But he also spoke of hell. And he spoke of darkness and destruction. And he spoke of how fleeting and temporary are the things of this world. They're perishable. The things that we consider valuable perishable they're worthless in essence they're worthless when compared to heaven heaven which is eternal so jesus was painting this contrast back and forth time and again between heaven and earth eternal and temporary light and dark and he was putting it into real tangible terms these weren't just happy sayings, they weren't bumper stickers, they weren't platitudes. He talked about practical living. Don't accumulate all this junk. Don't accumulate this stuff. Don't store up your treasures. Don't worry, he said, don't worry. Don't worry about how much you have. If you seek God, if you look for him, all that stuff gets taken care of. So seek heaven first. Seek the things of God. While making the contrast with the eternal versus the temporary, Jesus focused his teaching on how to practically live as one who believed in the heavenly father who would send the savior son. And that's Jesus. And he's making the point, he's alluding to it, that's me, he would say. So live life here. Live life in the here and now, Jesus would be putting forth. Live life in the here and now as I'm teaching you. That's what he was saying. If you're a, a true believer, this is how a believer is to live. You'll be one who will inherit eternal life in heaven. Now, if you live opposed to these teachings, well, that's not the mark of a believer. That's not the mark of a believer. It's the mark of someone who is destined for eternal darkness. And Jesus made this point more than once. There's two destinies, 
That's it. Just two. We'd all like a whole variety. The American culture wants what we want. But Jesus said, there's two destinies, that's it. One's life, one's death. One's eternal light, one's eternal darkness. And he made this point as he begins to wrap his sermon up. Now, last week, I said we're getting to this point where Jesus is wrapping up his sermon. And he's now really, he's, he's given us some real meat, the essence, the core. Uh, last week, the meaning of the law, the meaning of the law, it's, it's accomplished by how we treat others. This is what Christ said. And that, again, it sounds like it's a platitude. But there's real meat to it. This teaching of Jesus. He said, this is the sum of the law and the prophets. How you treat one another. And that's the hardest one to follow, as I said last week. There's significance to what he's saying. And as he reaches this apex of his sermon, after he mentions how you treat one another, his very next words were these. This is Matthew chapter 7. It's verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So here again, There's the contrast. Jesus is painting it once again. Two destinies. You've got two options. Destruction and life. And if you haven't connected to it yet, Jesus has been preaching this. If we haven't connected to it yet, get it now. Get it now. He's really bringing it to very stark terms. There's only two. One is life. The other is not, and that's death. Jesus has described it already through this sermon as darkness. He's called it hell. And here he says it's destruction, as opposed to what? Life, life, eternal life. And if we haven't seen it yet, Jesus is putting it very clearly in plain terms with imagery that this first century audience would clearly understand. These were very, very recognizable images that he was putting right in front of them. So what's the image? What's the illustration? Two gates. Two gates. Now, we don't really deal with gates much in our lives. We don't have gates on our driveways, most of us. I understand there's a gated community here and there, but most of us, We don't deal with having to go through a gate to get into a place or a store or our yard. But in the first century, this was a common thing. This was something that immediately this crowd that Jesus was talking to could picture. Cities were gated. They were gated for security and safety purposes. During the day, often the city gates would be open. There's light, there'd be watchtowers, people could see who's coming and going. But at night, 
typically they'd close the gates of the city to keep out, well, people who just shouldn't be there, to keep out enemies, to keep out anyone who had a nefarious motive to come and do something bad in the city. Jerusalem, which was at the time the capital city, the temple was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a gated city. And many of the other cities were gated. And the gates of a city, they wouldn't be small things. In the Old Testament, just, here's just an example. There was an account of King David, and he was sending out troops from the city of Jerusalem. And I'll just give you a, a portion of 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4. It says, the king, King David, stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. Men by the hundreds, men by the thousands, marching out of the city of Jerusalem through the gates. You think they were going single file? How long would the king have to stand there for thousands of men to go through single file? No, they were, they, they could have, the gates could accommodate many at a time. It's, it says David watched as units of hundreds and thousands went through the gates. So the gate allowed many to pass at once. The first century historian Josephus, he described one of the gates of Jerusalem as being 60 feet wide by 75 feet tall. There was a gate called the Golden Gate. It was the, the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. And that's the gate that it said that Jesus passed through when he was riding a donkey on the day that we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And if you read the gospel accounts, there were a great crowd of people with Jesus as he was riding that colt into the city of Jerusalem through the gate. The gate that's called the Golden Gate, it may have been more than 60 feet wide. And as Jesus entered, this crowd was with him. So large gates were common, very easily understood. And when Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road, that image, I'm sure, just came right to the forefront of their mind. The Golden Gate that Jesus may have went through on that day we call Palm Sunday, it opened to just a wide expanse of the temple courtyard. Come through that gate, and the temple was right there, and it just opened way up. So many times wider than the gate itself. Now let's contrast that. Let's contrast that to another common gate. And that would be the gate of a home. We know that homes had gates. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, it describes an incident in the life of Peter where he had been miraculously released from prison. And Peter made his way to a house. It was the house of John Mark's mother, it says, a detail in the book of Acts. Her name was Mary. And Peter went, and it, we read in Acts 12, he knocked on the door of the gate. He knocked on the door of the gate, leading to the home. And a 
person named Rhoda came and was very confused. But one person came down the path to the gate, this outer gate that led to the, that, that led to the home once it was open. So the gate of the home, you think it could accommodate a thousand marching men? No, no. See, the, the gate of the home, absolutely. Single file, one at a time. And then beyond it was a, a small pathway that led to the house. It, very similar to what we saw in the treehouse video. The golden gate of Jerusalem opens this wide, broad way. Many people, whole crowd of hundreds, thousands could just pile on through. Gate of the house. Gate of the yard, really, that leads then to the house. It's you know, one at a time with a, just this path for a single file. So both of these easily, very easily pictured in the minds of Jesus' audience. And he said, now enter the narrow gate. Enter the small gate. The road beyond, it's not wide. It's narrow. But, he said, it leads somewhere. It leads to life. On the other hand, the wide gate that accommodates many, the road beyond is broad, and it goes to destruction. I can't make the, uh, the sound effect uh, that we heard in the video, but let that burn in your mind. See, the illustration's not too difficult to interpret. The wide way, well, it's the obvious way. It's the noticeable opening and it's a very accepting way. It opens to this broad, broad road, which would be the road of life. And that road offers all kinds of options, all kinds of directions. Now, if we apply that to life, the wide way accommodates you. It accommodates your desires, your ideas, your opinions, whatever you want, whatever you desire. That's the wide way. That's the broad way. It's the self way. And where does it go? But it goes to destruction. Now, Jesus has been speaking about how to be a believer in the divine heavenly father as, as we live lives here on earth in contrast to those who do not. Those who don't believe in this God, those who would go through that wide way, well, they want a life without boundaries. They want to do as they please. And that's the broad way beyond the wide gate. And it's the way of darkness. It seems pleasing. It absolutely seems pleasing. It seems easy. So accommodating. So open. Do what you want. There's no curbs on the road. Now nah, you can go wherever you like. But it leads to death. For life, Jesus said, Enter the narrow gate. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now what's implied by these words of Jesus? Well, many enter the wide gate, yes. Only a few through the narrow. It's really something to contemplate. Meditate on that. But Jesus added, only a few find it. He didn't say that about the wide gate. You don't have to look for that. You don't have to search for that. It's right there in front of us. 
There's no search necessary. Don't need to find the wide gate. It's totally obvious. He didn't say that. It's about the broad road. It's, it's all there. It's a no-brainer, the wide way. And that all reconciles with Scripture. It sure does. What does Scripture say about going our own way? Well, throughout all of Scripture, we learn that the human race is innately selfish. People are innately selfish. They want their own way. They want to fulfill their own desires. And what it boils down to is we want to be our own God. We want to rule our own destiny. That's it. Nobody's going to tell us what we're going to do, where we're going to go, and that's been since the beginning of time, since the first pair were created. The first couple decided, hey, we want to be like God. That, that was their decision. We want to be really our own God. Oh, who's he to tell us what to do? Who's he to tell us we can't touch this tree and we can't eat off of it? We'll do that. We're going to do that because we can. We're going to be our own gods. We're going to create our own destiny. So they defined their own destiny by rebelling against God, disobeying what God had asked them to do. And what did they do? They brought sin into the world. Disobedient to God, they ushered sin into the world, into the human race. And the destiny that they defined for themselves was what? Death. It was death. That's the destiny that the first couple defined for themselves. They wanted to be God. They wanted to rule their lives. They wanted to, to, to rule their own destinies, and it got them to death. And then all who followed, all who followed in the human race are born into sin and destined to die. And it sounds all so terrible. But there's a way to alter that destiny. There is. There's a way to alter the destiny. Have you sought life? Have you sought life? Are you seeking life? True life. Eternal life. It's the small gate. It's the small gate. Yet few find it. It's not really that hard to find though. Jesus had been explaining to all of this multitude sitting on the mountainside He'd been explaining the small gate. He'd been expounding on the narrow way. He'd been doing it since he opened his sermon, contrasting the wide and the narrow. From the very first word that he, that he began to speak. And all these people were amazed at his teachings. That's true. We read about it. Matthew recorded it. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. But would they take it to heart? Would they take it to heart? We know. Many did not. Many are on the wide, broad road. They didn't take it to heart. Even though the narrow, small gate's not that hard to find, it's not really that difficult to discover. Jesus was talking all about it. It's right there. He... he, he told over and over again, but you have to be willing to enter it. You must be willing to enter it to get off that wide, wide road. We have to apply what Jesus is teaching about entering the, the narrow gate. And so to apply that, first, we have to be willing. 
We must be willing to enter that small gate. And Jesus was teaching this narrow way. And what was he teaching? Jesus was teaching himself. All these characteristics in there, the traits that Jesus was speaking about being a peacemaker, loving enemies. This is Jesus himself. This is what he's teaching. He's teaching, hey, I'm the perfect model. That's, that's what Jesus is pointing out. He was sinlessly perfect. And all that he taught, he did. He put into practice. There'd come a day later in his ministry where he would say this. This is John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. See, Jesus was talking about himself through the entire sermon. I am the gate. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is the gate that leads to life. He is the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is defined by the cross of Christ. He gave his life to provide a way out of death. That death that was ushered in by the first couple. And Jesus made a way by dying on the cross. And we sung songs about that this morning. Jesus, for our sake you died. We sung in one of the lines of the song. The sin of Adam and Eve that was a death penalty crime. It was defying the creator, God. And Jesus received the penalty for it, for every single person. It's done. It's done. He is the gate via the cross, via the executioner's cross. Jesus became this gate to eternal life. And what is the road like then beyond the gate of Jesus? All that he taught, it's all that he had been teaching. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Give, pray, fast, judge others rightly. Don't do to other people what you wouldn't have them to do to you. Curb your anger, be merciful, be meek. Make peace. This is all that Jesus was teaching. And that's the narrow road. Are you willing? Are you willing? Or do you want to repay your enemies? Man, sometimes I do. You want to feed your lust? You want to keep what's yours? That giving part, I'll do Matthew 5 and 7. Forget number 6 there. That 6th chapter talking about giving up my stuff. You want to be merciless? Express your anger. You know what's that? That's saying, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to go through the, the, the narrow gate. And many are not willing. Many are not willing. And thus, they will not find themselves on the narrow way. No, they'll find themselves on the broad way that leads to destruction. We must be willing. We must want life. We must want light. We must be willing to turn from death. Man, it seems like so much fun. I'm having such a great time on this wide way. I can do whatever I want. But you're going to die. Christianity is a narrow way. Oh, yeah, man. The curbs are too high. And they're too close together. It's narrow, and it's for the narrow-minded, isn't it? Ah, Jesus put down all those rules and regulations. Man, can't we just, why can't we do what we want? Christianity's for the narrow-minded. Billy Graham used this illustration about that. 
He said, suppose a mathematician says, let's approach mathematics with a broad mind. Two plus two equals four. But that's too narrow. It could be five. No, a mathematician is narrow-minded, must be narrow-minded. There are rules and regulations that apply to math. And there is also a narrow gate that leads to heaven. Jesus has outlined the road and the way and the method of getting to heaven. Are you going to be broad-minded and decide to go your own way? How utterly foolish. That's the way Billy Graham put it. See, you must be willing to enter the small gate. Have you truly entered? Have you truly entered? And only you can answer that question. Only you can answer. You can't look to your mom. You can't look to your dad. You can't look to your husband or your wife. You can't look to a friend. You can't look to somebody else. No. It's the narrow It's the small gate, and the gate is Jesus. And when we come to him and through him, we come individually. We come separately. Nobody else is going to stand before us at that gate. No, we got to go through ourselves, desiring life, be willing to give up our own life to gain eternal life. So yes, you say, yes, I'm willing. I am willing, and I have entered The narrow gate. How do I stay on the narrow road? Jesus said, enter the small gate. Narrow is the road beyond it. How do you stay? Well, the primary mode of transportation for that first century audience of Jesus, it was our dogs, the feet. They were walking people. That was the primary mode of transportation. So on a wide, broad, broad road, they could walk where they pleased. Might even be able to be careless. It's so wide, you can walk wherever you want, do it, turn whatever way you wanted. But on a narrow way, on a, on a narrow road, a narrow path, one would have to watch their steps. And that is precisely what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about steps, how to walk in life. And what's the next step in life? What's the next right step? To stay on the narrow way, you got to take the next right step. Our lives are a constant, constant flow of decisions, daily decisions every single day. Family, school, business, neighbors, friends, All of our interactions, they all require us to make daily decisions. And that's a step, so to speak. We make a decision. It's it's a fork in life. And we make so many of them, sometimes we don't realize. We look back and say, whoa, man, I see where I got off track. Hindsight's sometimes helpful in that. When we're right in the moment, we have to take the next right step. So how will we proceed? Proverbs chapter 16 says this. Verse number 25. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way that leads to death. See, there's a way that seems right. There's a step that seems right, but it's going the wrong way. It leads to death. It's on the wide road. 
Jesus is the gate. He is the way. He's the right way. And he taught the right way. He taught the next right step. What's before you today? What lies before you? Is it an enemy in business? Maybe it's an enemy at school. You want to you deal with that person. What's the next right step? How did Jesus talk about dealing with enemies? Are you tempted by what your eye sees? Are you tempted by what your hand could grab? Jesus talked about what we see with our eyes and what our hands reach for. Put it pretty straightforwardly about plucking out our eye or cutting off our hand. Now, I know it's hyperbole, but he talked very straightforward about what's the next right step. Maybe you're contemplating leaving your spouse. Oh, there's got someone on the side. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, we think we're going to be free when we do these things. Well, Jesus talked about what's the next right step when it comes to marriage. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to talk to the Lord. Jesus talked about when you pray. Oh, maybe you're full of worry. Maybe you're full of worry about tomorrow. Oh, man, you've been watching the, the news and it's just got you troubled. Jesus talked about it. He talked about it. Oh, there's lots of injustice. How are we going to respond to this injustice again? All of this. Jesus had something to say about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about what the next right step is. Enter the narrow gate. Now, take all that he's, all that he's said in this sermon and begin to put it in practice in your life. Because it's the next right step on this narrow path that's beyond the small gate. Will you find yourself on that narrow path? Will you find yourself on that narrow road where you're going to take that next right step? Because often when it comes right down to it, that next right step, it's not what we want to do. It isn't. It's not my desire. Because the narrow, the narrow way isn't, isn't my way. It's not what I want to do, but it is what Christ wants us to do. Jesus has been defining his walk. That next right step, that would be his step. And that's the step that Jesus would have us take. Are you going to take that next right step? Or are you going to do it on your own? Go your own way. Go your own way. And I'll tell you that the Billy Graham quote still applies how utterly foolish to go your own way. It's a disgrace to the cross of Jesus Christ. It belittles his sacrificial death. It mocks all the humiliation that he took for each and every one of us. All the suffering that he took. He was stripped and he was beaten and he was hung on a cross and that just mocks it. It says, I'll just do my own thing. What he did doesn't really matter. Well, if you've professed that you've entered the small gate, it does matter. And then walk that narrow path. Take that next right step, the way that our Savior has taught us. But, you know, still, we want to make our own destinies. Remember, Jesus taught there's only two. There's only two. Death and life. Do you know your destiny today? 
Do you know your destiny today? If you don't, if you're questioning, the next right step is entering the small gate. It's entering the narrow gate. The next right step is turning from your own way to Jesus, to honoring the cross and what he's done. It's repenting from sin and, and receiving his sacrifice. I don't know where you're at today. I know this. Jesus said, broad is the way. And many find themselves on it. I think sometimes when we sit in a sanctuary like this, there are some that say, I follow Jesus. They're on the wide road. I think there's some that say, I've entered the narrow gate. They're on the broad path. And I can't say it's you or you or you. That's only a matter of your heart. You know I don't. But if your destiny is where that wide road leads, take care of it today. Take care of it today. Deal with it today. Because we don't have a promise about tomorrow. So deal with it now. Let's stand and pray as we close our service. If this is something you're dealing with, If you're on that broad road, I invite you to lay it before Jesus, to, to, to say, I want to go through you, your way, the cross, period, and whatever I need to do for that next right step, dealing with all the things I talked about, any one of them, I will take the next right step. If, you, if that's in you, let's pray. And I'm going to invite you too to come forward to pray. And we will pray for you. We will support anyone, anyone who has, has to say, I, there's no shame to say I want to honor the cross of Christ. There's no shame to say I want to be on the narrow path. None whatsoever. We would celebrate with you and pray for you. So I'm, I would invite you to step forward just as a profession of faith, exercising faith and honoring the cross of Christ. Let's pray. And as we pray, if you want to step out, again, that's, it's your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the baptisms today of those who've proclaimed you as Lord and Savior and declared that they want this life through the narrow gate. And God, if there's any in this room who've said, I've been on the narrow path, but they're not. Or maybe they've never ever made the decision to turn and to enter that narrow small gate. Beyond it is life and eternal life and light and blessing and 
the love of God, the Heavenly Father, all that Jesus has talked and taught about. God, I pray for hearts this morning, any that are here, any that have connected online, that say, I, I, I want that, I need that, I must have life. I want to turn from this, this way of death. It's been fun and it's been awesome and it's been great and there's no curbs, but I'm going to die. God, I pray that any that want life and they're reaching towards you, you'd receive them. You'd receive their hearts. You'd receive their hearts, God. You would, you would bless them and help them with the next right step in their life. God, I'm praying for that, Lord. Any here, any beyond, bless them, God. Lord, for those who are here that say, yes, I'm on the narrow path. They are being pulled. They are being tempted. The way of the world hasn't gone. And something's tugging them behind the curb that, that Jesus has set. God, I pray for strength. I pray for divine strength for those who need to take the next right step, the decisions before them, something's before them, and that they would go the way that Christ Jesus has put before us. God, I pray that blessing on all. And I thank you for your word, Lord. You've washed us with it, and we're blessed by it. And now, God, I just pray you'd carry us from here to wherever we are till we're back again to worship you and praise your name. Father, I ask all these things in the name of your glorious, marvelous Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.